Welcome to BuildCast, a podcast brought to you by BCG Digital Ventures. My name is Vuk Trivkovic. I'm Product Management Director at BCG Digital Ventures in Berlin. Today I have with me a great guest and I'm happy to say a friend, Jakob Fricke. Jakob and I met in a startup scene in Berlin, I guess in wild, what was it, middle of second decade of 21st century, middle of teens, I'm not sure how we call that decade anymore. And here we are, we both ended up with the careers in corporate innovation after actually starting up in a bright and exciting startup scene in Berlin. You, Jakob, you worked at a series of, uh, of startups such as Iversity, then Tape TV as well. But then you took a turn into a corporate innovation with one of the many vehicles for Daimler. Yes, so um, we sold Tape, I think it was end of 2017. And uh, the kind of next step for me was to, you know, take what I learned, building products, building teams, building companies in, you know, small, high-paced environments and see how much that skill set and mindset uh, is still useful if you bring it to one of the biggest and oldest German companies. Uh, and that, you know, in that case, I joined Daimler, taking over a role at kind of the core business in the sales department and, and marketing department. So, you know, not really corporate innovation, but I think they brought us in because they had the feeling and the urge to, you know, revamp part of the structure and part of the way they sell cars. For me personally, the challenging part was just kind of to survive in an environment that is not built for outside curious, right? I think at the time I joined, I was probably the youngest on that level ever, or at least currently serving in the company. And, you know, everybody else usually has their network internally, knows the tools, knows kind of the management philosophy. I think that was probably the hardest for me to kind of, you know, just get to know all these things. I mean, you get gazillions of emails just from tools that are cryptic and you, you don't know what to do with them, right? You can either ignore them but just get stuck. HR processes don't get approved, whatever it is, because these tools like send these cryptic emails or you just, you know, take one by one and then figure them out, right? But these are hundreds a day. So I think just, just kind of the, the complexity of the company itself, I think was more overwhelming than the complexity of the product or, you know, the content decisions. And, you know, that, that stuff that I know better from before anyway. So I think it was more easy for me to get into that. I think all the rest was really, really hard, at least the first half a year. Mm. So how did you get over that hurdle? How did a, a Berlin startup hipster got to operate very efficiently in a world of, uh, of digital in, in big automotive? I mean, you just, just put in hours. I think there's no shortcut, honestly. Um, you just put in hours. Uh, it was probably the hardest and, and you know, most intense time in my, in my professional career, at least. But you can make it. Obviously, you need to have this kind of a social setting and a private setting that does allow it, right? And I was lucky to have that. But I think there's no shortcut, honestly. Was there a breakthrough initiative, or not to use the corporate or deliverable, or project that gave you a bit of a stamp of approval? I mean, like, essentially what we found when we came there was that digital marketing used to be treated as, you know, buying posters, you know, or billboards. You kind of call somebody, ask for the price, and then, you know, negotiate that one and then you know it gets delivered and you check the quality so i think most of the digital sales was kind of treated the same way you know that's where it historically was that was probably fine in the first kind of 10 years of digital you know websites were nice if you have them you know were good showcases but they didn't move the needle in terms of sales the time when we came on uh, that wasn't true anymore significantly uh, the, the the choices of you know what car to buy what kind of you know color i buy what what brands actually all these decisions are actually made online i think 10 years before we joined you know people went to, to the dealerships seven point something times to pick a car right like they came to pick the color came next time to kind of figure out what the financing options are these kind of things 
that has been down to 1.6, I think, on average in Europe, 1.3 in the UK, 1.2 in, in the US. And people bought more cars than ever. So I think it was not people didn't buy cars anymore. But essentially it was because they, you know, got the information from various other sources and lots of them were online. So I think the way you present yourself online, the way you kind of help people to understand the complexity of a car and the, the lineup of cars, which is tremendous, is kind of key to winning. So I think that has been a tremendous shift in the way, you know, you look at how you build the value. What are the parts do you want to keep in-house versus outside? So, you know, that was kind of probably the key moment for us. And what we essentially did then is insourcing a lot of these capacities from you know, various, various agencies and, and partners uh, to own at least a good chunk of that internally. So we build up a subsidiary and, you know, concentrate most of the knowledge, most of the technology that was relevant for selling cars worldwide in, in this one unit that has been, had had office or still has basically across Berlin, uh, Stuttgart and Lisbon. And what did it allow Daimler to do? I think basically the pitch was if you concentrate the resources in one unit that you control, you get faster. You actually also have more ways of differentiation because I mean, you know, if you call the big agencies, the likeliness that the same uh, agency is selling the same technology, even with the same people to the competitors, fairly high. You know, if it's just the price and you don't care about differentiation, right? If it's just the billboard that you're booking, basically, then it doesn't matter. But I think it does matter more and more these days. So I think next to speed and, you know, keeping more resources and knowledge internally, it's a way to differentiate yourself from the competition. I think that's key these days. You were, of course, part of the broader family of digital initiatives in Daimler. What was your relationship to some of those other innovation vehicles? Were you ever, you know, walking into some of their, for instance, labs or an incubators with a little bit of a jealousy? Or how does that trade-off of perhaps working on digital topics at the very center of the consortium versus some of the other innovation vehicles? And, and how do they compare and contrast? There were a lot, a lot of different initiatives, mainly across the globe, that, you know, called them some labs, sometimes, you know, different names, but essentially, you know, trying to build up new products or build even up new revenue streams, different goals and significantly different complexities in there. That was also a time where there was kind of hip and an on vogue. Everybody did that somehow. But I think, I don't know, like, I think I was always happy to work in something where I could see where that leads to. I think my problem with a lot of the labs were that, you know, they were hip and on vogue, but that's probably the nice part about it but it's also the challenge and if you look at the current environment lots of these things got turned down again i think for one because if you work in new business models new revenue streams you know you have a high likeliness of failure significantly higher if you do it within a corporate than if you do it even outside and even outside and you know in the open market there's a barely nobody makes it right just a few that we read in the papers but the, the majority doesn't it just runs so contrary to the way management thinks so i think you know the second leadership changes you see uh, these labs get downsized again or, you know, get changed. And that's not just Daimler. I think it's, it's across the board. You, you have so many cases uh, where, where this happens. If there's no either family-owned business or like a really, really long-term management there that really sticks to it and has both the mental model, but then I think also the, the willingness to finance this, this through. Uh, and then there's still the question if, if it actually makes sense, right? Like if I have 100 million on my account as a corporate, where do I put this money? Do I put it like to potentially fund business models that are not really adjacent, where I don't have an unfair advantage of doing it in-house, you know, which is always a key question. Or, you know, if I just want to park the money somewhere, why don't I just invest it in financial funds as an LP, right? Like you can just go to, I don't know, early bird next door here and write a check. They're happy to take it. It seems to be a smarter model sometimes, right? If you can't answer why should I do 
a new business that is not you know, adjacent to existing business. So I have some form of unfair advantage either on the distribution side or unfair knowledge or IP or something. So I think I have been always happy to be part of something where I could connect the docs, you know, why it makes sense for the business. So what's your perspective almost? Would you advise some corporates to be more active in CVC? And if you would, who is this model for on a corporate side? Um, I think it's, it's the interesting part about a CVC model is that if you care about the future and you want to have one foot into it, right, but don't want to spend a lot, a lot of money on R&D. It's a fairly capital efficient way to, you know, get a foot into the door in a lot of different industries or business models or geographies that you care about. Not because you want to spy on the companies that you invest in, but I think in aggregate, what you see is if you have a team that does constantly um, engage with entrepreneurs each single day, um, that, you know, sees different models. And I think it sits on the board if they invest afterwards or, you know, at least gets the board of the observers. I think that the level of knowledge that you access and that you can, you know, in some form aggregate and loop back into the headquarters or, you know, whoever cares about it, is, I think, worth it for one. I think a second reason why it's interesting is if you want to switch from observing to action, right? Like I think, I don't know, you say, okay, this is a market segment that is adjacent to our business. It's super interesting. We have never been in there. At one point, we might, you know, acquire actually a company or want to get in there. I think having a team that has been involved, deeply involved in the industry, and then you do the switch and buy something, right? Or you buy a couple of teams that form a new business unit. Historically, if we look at these types of M&A, they usually fail because of culture. I think a CVC arm can actually mitigate this risk to a certain degree, right? Because you have been embedded in the industry. You might have been investing in companies in that space. Even if you don't buy any of your portfolio companies, but you know you know kind of who to talk to, who to trust, and the other way around as well, right? If you're a trusted partner in the ecosystem, I think it also makes it easier for you to be an acquirer. And I think also it's, it's in terms of size, right? It's expensive. You know, you need to have a couple of millions or a couple of 10, 200 millions available, and you need to be fine with them not being accessible for, you know, 10 years plus, because it's an illiquid asset class if you invest in companies, right? Like it's hard to get the money out if you need it. One of the fascinating things to, to talk to you about is your private portfolio of side projects. You've been, you've, yes. you've been driving at least four or five that I've known about, and they're just the stuff that I know about. Why do you do it? You know, I think one danger that you have if you work, especially in management positions or, you know, high up the ranks, is that you get detached from reality, right? It's really, really hard to talk about something that you don't understand. So I think some way of keeping my sanity and, you know, also grounding myself is actually getting my hands dirty and building an app or building a service or trying to find customers for a service that I built. It's really, really hard. It's tremendously hard. And I think this respect for the ones that actually build and do and execute, but also if you're an investor or, you know, you distribute money, the respect for the entrepreneur or the people that execute is, I think, something that's really valuable because you can speak on a different level. Uh, you have seen the same challenge. You face the same problems. You can sometimes even be helpful if you're lucky, right? Because you have solved probably one of those challenges. But I think it's definitely a different way to connect to people that actually do the job, right? And it's, it's easy to talk about stuff uh, and paint nice lights and, you know, be always as smart as. Because, you know, there are a lot of good blogs that you can read or books that you can read and you just recycle them. You know, being the ones that can, you know, bridge the, the theory and the practice. The only way to get there is actually do it yourself. I think that's what I've been trying to do. For one, and then I think it, I, ju I just enjoy it. I really enjoy building products. From the time I went to school, I started doing stuff, tried to build businesses and products. It gives me a lot of personal gratification. So that's the second reason. Which one are you most proud of or most, learned the most? Like they're all so different. So I learned like something from all of them. 
the latest one that I've started looking at is basically selling high quality um, organic food online. I learned a ton about kind of the food supply chain and how to source food and, you know, certification of food and... and you have more dried apricots in your house than ever before, no? Yes, I do have a lot of dried apricots. I just bought a, a huge chunk of dried mango from Burkina Faso, um, my biggest order so far. You know, you learn a lot about these kind of things uh, that are really, really hard to see from the outside. This, for example, is also such a striking industry that is, is so under digitized you know it's basically fucks and you don't know if the product is still there at what prices if you call tomorrow it's different i was amazing to actually see something on this this kind of undigitized still existing these days uh, and you know it's food it's kind of one of the most critical parts of our human life right and for the last question how could corporates win the next decade of innovation I think for one, they should focus really on the core business. I think most of the corporates actually have significant challenge ahead from digitization to other trends. So I think the highest leverage that they have is going to you know, focus on what they tend to know best and do best and double down on this. I think it's also the highest return on, on any money invested. The danger is spread out the money too thin around kind of the edges of the business too thin also in terms of you know oh i found a good idea but you know i have only two million to put into it like that doesn't work right if you look at venture capital you pull in significant amounts of money if, if something seems to be interesting right even if you don't know if it's interesting and i think that's nobody's prepared for that so i think they tend to be good to stick to what they know best but make sure to figure out what they don't know about it or what they need to rebuild in terms of capacity in terms of people in terms of culture and then focus on that part and grow the business from there then focus too much on adjacent new ideas that they spin out because i think it's barely a distraction from looking at what actually matters thank you for listening for more information about bcg digital ventures find us on linkedin twitter or instagram and stay tuned for more episodes of buildcast